There we go. Thank you, gentlemen. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. And the Lord answers, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honour. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. That's a different sort of passage, isn't it? As Christians, for those of us here who believe in God, we know that God is in control of all things, all nations, all events. We know the Bible teaches that not a sparrow falls to the ground outside of the Father's care. We know that God loves his children and longs to give us good gifts. And we expect that good things should come to those who love God and that trouble comes to the wicked. And those expectations don't come from nowhere. We read, like, we, we read things like in Proverbs 11, a wicked person earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Truly the righteous attain life, but whoever pursues evil finds death. The Lord detests those whose hearts are perverse, but he delights in those whose ways are blameless. Be sure of this, the wicked will not go unpunished, but those who are righteous will go free. And we read things like that and we expect that, you know, if you're good, good things will happen. And if you're bad, bad things will happen. We might not put it in such simplistic terms, but we tend to have that expectation deep in our hearts. But then, then we look at the world, at the things happening around us. And there's a nagging feeling that says, it doesn't look like anyone is in charge of anything out there. We see the wicked living in great palaces, while their people that they're responsible for starve. We see many 
good people in the world, sick and hurting. We see a virus causing havoc in our world, closing borders, separating families, ending livelihoods. And it doesn't look like God's in charge. It doesn't look like punishment comes to those who do the wrong thing. It doesn't look like justice is done. And sometimes when we feel these things, we feel like we shouldn't think these things. A Christian shouldn't be thinking these things. A Christian shouldn't be thinking the world looks like it's completely out of control, like there is no justice. But there's something in us that cries, where is God in my chronic pain? Where is God in my family breakdown? Where is God in my business collapse or my being laid off? Where is God in my loss, in my ruined crops? Where is God in my depression? Where is God in our miscarriage? Where is God in the sickness that my friends and my family are going through? This isn't how it's supposed to be. If that resonates with you, then I hope you'll be encouraged by Habakkuk. We read that Habakkuk was a prophet. He was a person whose job was to uh, tell people God's will in the Old Testament, to tell them this is the covenant that we made with God and we're supposed to follow it. Habakkuk was... uh, He was a prophet in the times around the the time of King Jehoiakim. Now, I'm sure, you know, not everybody knows all about that on the top of our heads. But he came just after a really good king called Josiah. And Josiah, uh, he found a copy of God's law of the Old Testament, all that had been written up to that point, uh, that had been lost through the previous kings before him, and he'd realised, hey, this is what we're supposed to be doing. And he'd started doing it. And then, aged only 30-something, he died senselessly in battle against the Egyptians. And the reign of this good king was cut tragically short. And his descendant was not the same. Israel in his time was full of people who were in it for themselves. It was full of the rich preying on the poor. It was full of priests and judges expecting a bribe before they would either do their priestly duties or before, you know, whoever gives me the biggest bribe will will win the case. It was a time of great injustice. It was a time of brother turning against brother. And it was a time where the way that people were supposed to live was entirely neglected. The way that they had promised as a nation to serve God was entirely neglected, except by a select few. Now, Habakkuk was a prophet. 
But he was very different to most of the prophets that we read about. There's no, thus says the Lord, anywhere in the book of Habakkuk. Instead of him taking God's word and proclaiming it to the people, the book is all about him coming and wrestling with God about all of the things that are happening around him, about why all of these people who are preying on the poor and the oppressed are getting away with it, about why all the senseless violence around them, about why even those who were supposed to be the leaders of God's people were charging a bribe. Habakkuk is calling out against the injustice that he sees in the nation around him. And it says, How long, O Lord, will you allow these evil people to go on like this? This book is all about him wrestling with God's justice and that he believes in from what he's been taught and the injustice and the violence and the oppression that he sees around him. The ways that the wicked hem in the righteous, make them powerless and oppressed. And Habakkuk brought his wrestling to God. Not with pride, not to say, I know what's best and God, you should do it this way but with a real honesty and a real openness about the things that he was wrestling with. And he said, God, I don't get this. Why doesn't this match up with how it should be? Why aren't the guilty punished? Why don't the bad things just happen to the bad people? Why isn't it the way it should be? And I want to say that as somebody who's done my fair share of wrestling with these issues, with these questions, Habakkuk gives me a lot of hope. God's not going to smite us for asking questions about what he's doing in the world. He has included this in his word because he invites us to come and wrestle with things with him. He invites us when we can't make sense of the, the injustice and the hardships and the viruses and the family breakdowns and all of those things we looked at before, when we can't make sense of those. He invites us to wrestle with those, with him, to bring those to him and say, God, what is happening? Why is it this way? To bring our wrestling to him again and again and honestly sharing what we struggle with. Now God might answer us a little differently than he did Habakkuk. He gave Habakkuk a special revelation of what he was going to do and he, I'm, I'm certainly not promising that he'll always do that for us. In those days, God spoke through his prophets. In these days, he has spoken to us through his son. And Jesus has shown us the fullness of what God is doing. And the main way that God speaks to us is through his word. But when we wrestle with him with these things, it's amazing how often suddenly we see something more in the word that we haven't seen before. 
Now, as Habakkuk was wrestling with this question of injustice with God, God gave Habakkuk an answer, one that he wouldn't have expected. God tells Habakkuk, yes, I have seen all of the injustice and all of the wrongdoing in Israel and I am going to punish, oh, sorry, I'm going to punish Judah for all of this, punish the wrongdoers for all of the ways that they have been oppressing one another, have been violent towards one another. And I am going to raise up Babylon to fight against them, that ruthless and impetuous people. Now, I probably should have put a map up, shouldn't I? Uh, John, John would be very disappointed with me that there was no map. But in this day, in this era, uh, Babylon were, were sort of to the east of the nation of Israel, but separated from them by a desert. And the biggest bad at this point in history was the Assyrians. And the Assyrians had destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. They'd swept across most of the, what we call the Fertile Crescent. They'd won numerous battles against the Egyptians. And for many, many years, they had, uh, had Babylon under their thumb, under their rule. And God says, it's not Assyria that you need to worry about. It's Babylon. I'm going to be raising them up. And he did. And they rebelled in their cities, the Babylonian cities. And then their armies marched north and they took Nineveh from the Assyrians. And they went further and further until Assyria was destroyed as a great power. But at this point in time that God is speaking to Habakkuk, they would have been surprised. Hence those words, be, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe. God was going to raise up this nation and he, they were going to be the agents of his justice. Which is really interesting because even in this passage itself, God makes it clear that he knows that the people of Babylon are not good people. We see a number of places in, that pas in the passages that they're ruthless, feared and dreaded, a law unto themselves. They promote their own honour. They're a guilty people whose own strength is their God. And that's really strange. And we'll get into that more next week because that is actually... Habakkuk's next question, where he comes back to God and he says, how can that be your answer? How can, they're worse than us. How can they be your agents? But I'm going to leave that for next week to talk about the justice of that and the answer that God gives to Habakkuk. But for today, for today I want to wrestle with what does God's answer tell us about God's justice? What does just what we have in these verses that we looked at today tell us about what God wants us to know? 
I think God's answer to Habakkuk in a nutshell is, be careful what you wish for when it comes to God bringing his justice. God was telling Habakkuk that for the righteous in Judah, those who were being oppressed at at this point in time, things were going to get worse before they got better. Instead of being oppressed by their own brothers, the, the, the people in Judah who were all going astray, they would instead be oppressed by Babylon. And that's an interesting thing for God to tell Habakkuk as he's wrestling with the justice of what's going on. Things aren't going to get better straight away. And it's something that he tells us as well, not because I got a special revelation from God about what's going to happen in the future, but because John the Apostle did. He, knew, he, knows, uh, he was given a revelation of what was going to happen in the future. And the future of the world is, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Are we prepared for that? Can we trust in God if his will for us is for things to be hard for a while? for temporary suffering. Paul says these light and momentary troubles are not worth comparing with the glories that will be revealed in us. But, as I'm sure Paul knew, they don't feel very light and momentary in the middle of them. Can we trust God about those promises that he's made? You see, the the thing that God tells Habakkuk in this answer is that God is not slow to bring his justice, but he is patient. When Habakkuk cries out, how long, O God? He says, I'm I'm doing something right now and it's going, there is going to be justice but it's not going to be pretty and it's not going to be easy. Peter writes in 2 Peter, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God knows that judgment is not pretty. And it's always been his way, all throughout the Bible, to give people time, a chance to turn from injustice and violence and all of these things and to turn to him. Israel was stuck in captivity in Egypt for years, hundreds of years, because God was giving the nation of Canaan a chance to turn back before he sent Israel to them. We know that Pharaoh was given chances to turn back from his oppression when God sent Moses to him to tell him to let his people go. The whole book of Jonah is not really about a guy getting eaten by a fish. That is there in the story. But what it's really about is God sending a prophet to tell a nation outside of Israel you need to turn around or there will be consequences. And about the way that God showed grace to them when they did 
turn around. We know that there was 500 years of pretty much, you know, of most of the time of Judah and Israel turning to other gods, rejecting God and uh, this sort of injustice that we read about here, that Habakkuk is complaining about. And 500 years of him sending prophets to warn them to turn away from this path before he sent them into exile. We see plenty of examples of judgment in the Bible and one thing that comes across very clearly is that God never delights in it. But, as we see in Habakkuk's complaint, if there is no judgment, there is no justice. There is no penalty for those who have gone their own way. There is no penalty for those who have oppressed others. The Bible teaches that those who reject God and have set themselves against him will be rejected by God and will spend eternity without him. That's not a pretty picture. It's one that I wrestle with. But if God is just, then sin must be punished. And it's something that God wrestles with too. The Bible tells us God doesn't desire that any should perish, but that they should turn back to him. And that's why Jesus came, to take our sin and to bear the punishment of God against our sin. The Bible teaches us that God has done everything possible to save us from ourselves. Everything possible to get us to turn around, to stop oppressing, to stop rejecting God's way and to put our hope in Him. He's done everything possible for God to deal with sin and injustice without destroying everybody on earth. Because that's what's at stake. If we're asking God to bring judgment on the wicked, we're asking him to bring judgment on everybody. You and me, all of us, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But as I noted, Jesus came so that those sins could be dealt with, so that the punishment could be paid and God could still be just but his mercy could be shown and there could be forgiveness for those who put their hope in Jesus. For God to deal with sin and injustice without destroying us all, he had to come and suffer the greatest injustice, that he who had no sin became sin for us, that we might become in him the righteousness of God. And he chose to do it out of love and out of mercy. So if you're wrestling with injustice, if you're wrestling with all of those things that I talked about at the, front, at the start of the sermon, about where is God in all of these things that are wrong in the world and in my life, bring it to Jesus. Wrestle with it with Him, knowing that He knows all about suffering injustice. Despite having done nothing wrong, he was put to death by one of the most torturous methods uh, of Roman execution and, and of any kind of execution in the ancient world. 
not because the governor thought he was guilty of anything, but because there were people who hated him so much that the governor was afraid there would be a riot if he didn't execute him. If you're wrestling with injustice and problems, know that Jesus comes alongside us in our struggles and in our hardships as one who knows what we're going through. And if you're wrestling with those things, know that God has promised that there will be justice. And if he's slow in bringing it about, as it looks like in, from where we are, it's because he wants to give people as much chance as possible to turn away from sin and turn back to him. If you are wrestling with these things, I'd encourage you also bring it to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us help you share the load. The world around us is full of injustice and evil. And God could end it right now. And if he did, everybody who doesn't currently believe in Jesus would be lost forever. God is giving people time to repent. He's giving us time to share that news with people. So knowing that there will be justice, knowing that he's already done what needs to be done to deal with injustice, most especially on the cross, where the price was paid for all of the sins. Can we trust God, knowing what he's done for us? And when times are hard, and when we wonder why God is allowing these things to happen, can we set, on, set our eyes on him, wrestle with him, and press on? Let's pray. Father, we would so like to be able to have a promise to say that there are some magic words that we could say in a prayer that would mean all of the things that we face, all of the hardships, all of the brokenness in our life could be dealt with like that. That isn't the promise that you've given us. You recognise that this world is broken and you have promised us that there will be justice for all of the horrid things that have happened to us and in the world around us. But we also know that you're not in a hurry to bring that justice because you want to give people a chance to turn back and be forgiven because you love them. Lord, help us to trust in the midst of our hardships that things will be made right, whether in our timing or in yours, that there is a purpose in it that you use for our good. And that we might be reminded that you know what it's like to suffer injustice. And let us allow you to be a comfort to us in these times as we wrestle with you. As we wrestle with the injustice and the problems in our world. Let us cry out to you, being honest about our struggles. And be with us and bring your comfort and your peace. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.